Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome back. It's been a while to the Forza Italian Football Podcast. I am still here. I'm still your host, Connor Clancy. And I'm joined by Kev Bogzowski. Kev, hello. Hi, Connor. How you doing? Um, yeah, as we discussed, I'm not I'm not great. I don't know what's hit me in the last half hour, but stomach is saying not. It's not great. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. Maybe it's that Samp win. No, I don't, I don't have any problems with Sampdoria, Kev. I don't have any. Maybe it's the prospect of Manchester City are now within 48 hours of us there. It's starting to make my stomach turn. Um, speaking of Samp, Vito Dori is also here. Vito, hello. Hello, Connor. Um, needless to say, I'm in a rather joyful mood at the moment. And uh, yeah, apparently I nearly, I didn't nearly scare, but I did scare one of my sister's dogs with my loud screaming and over-eccentric celebrations. <laughs> I mean, that's going to happen, isn't it? What was it? Yeah. Caprari came on in the 90th minute, scored in the 91st? Yes. Yeah, I mean, still in the bottom three, Vito, so let's not get too carried away. But you'll get yeah, out. but Genoa on top of us only on the goal scored. That's it. But Come on, we have, a lot week, of, we have a lot to get through before we start talking about Samp this week. Of so, course. It's, it's been a while since we spoke. I alluded to it. Obviously, the, the midweek round of fixtures last week kind of threw us. So... We didn't really know what to do, and in the end, we did nothing. But there were there have been three games since we last spoke, three, maybe four. Well, three rounds of games, rather, so 30. But we're just going to go through it as normal week um, and start with the Derby della Mola, which saw Juve go to Torino and win 1-0. Um, Vito, business as usual. Business as usual for Juventus, and they did just need the solitary goal. And it was from a very unlikely source, Matisse de Ligt, the rather criticised Dutch starlet, emerged as the unlikely hero with a winner. 
And uh, he probably could have actually scored one in the first half too. Otherwise, the main talking point was really that Sirigu had a fantastic game for Torino. And without him, I think Juventus would have won at least 5 or 6 nil. That's how good he was. Yeah, Salvatore Sirigu, well, he's done really, really well since going to Torino. And this was just another one of those days from Kev. Yeah, I think he deserved a lot of credit for Torino's um, sort of resolute defence they had last season, which they've not they've not particularly shown signs of this year. And I, he's one of those players that I've never never been fully convinced, but kind of still wondered how he ended up almost not playing for a side contesting European football when he moved to Torino. But he certainly had a a terrific game on. Uh, Saturday evening, wasn't it? Um, even if, I must admit, being the old grumpy so-and-so that I am, I uh, thought he'd made a few saves for the camera, as we call them, flinging himself almost uh, after he'd made the, the punch over the bar and whatnot. Come on. Syracuse is an honest man. Kev, he wouldn't be doing things like that. Do you think that actually is something that happens in games like this, where it is so intense and the pressure is so naturally ramped up? Is he, is he thinking of turning a show on for the cameras? I don't think it's, um, you know, putting a show on for the cameras. I think it's almost ingrained that the keeper almost, you know, you watch every single level of football, you just see the keepers do that. And it's almost as if sometimes out of boredom because they haven't had a lot to do <laughs> or maybe to make their, you know, to, you know, goalkeeper is a position where you're fighting for that one sole position so maybe you've got to sort of do something to make yourself uh, get recognised whether it's in the fans' minds or your coaches not that he's any, under any threat but I think so. it just comes from years of of goalkeepers doing this or being expected to do it Yeah, I'd, if there's a goalkeeper listening to us, drop me a message I want to talk to you, I've got so many questions I'd like to ask a goalkeeper and I've only ever known one person, one of my mates who was a goalkeeper, and I used to just ask him questions all the time. Obviously, when I played football, I was a striker, so it was quite interesting to hear his perspective on things. But anyway, people don't care about that. Uh, Vito, you alluded to Matthias De Ligt scoring the only goal of the game. It was an unlikely goal scorer, but finally, he's he's done something good for Juve. Yes, uh, uh, that's right. Um, unfortunately, again, there was another handball incident and I think social media blew it up but as far as I'm concerned it was moving away so I don't think it was the penalty that people thought it was but I'm glad that he still managed to keep his head up made some pretty good tackles some rather tough ones too and um, I think this will be a great confidence booster with him not only that aside from his defensive game he has chipped in with goals in the past for Ajax especially in that Champions League tie against Juve last year so to win in a game like this being the City derby and they maintain first spot in Serie A I think it's a very good thing for the young guy and hopefully for him it takes uh, some criticism off his back yeah well he's kind of become the master of legal handballs since coming to Italy Kev do you know what handball is anymore? No, I I picked my pen up briefly and started stabbing myself in the eye because I just don't want to discuss VAR or what penalties are or what is what is uh, an, an unnatural silhouette, you know, moving your arm <laughs> towards the ball. Uh, it's just crazy. Just someone should just shoot whoever bought a VAR uh, and, oh. and we should just get well, away with it. 
But VAR is not the problem. VAR is quite good. And it, it has been quite good in Italy, aside from the first six months. And see, I I was having a discussion with uh, with a friend in Belgrade of all places, and my argument over the VAR, and I'll try and keep this short, is what was is it its intention? Was it to to bring in zero errors? No. So it hasn't served its purpose. Was it to reduce the controversy around refereeing decisions? And I'd argue we get exactly the same number. We just get different different scenarios really now and then when we're, we're having a discussion in the UK at the moment about the referees not going to the side of the pitch when I've been or you know at that matches or even just viewed matches in Syria on on uh, TV the, the the going to the side of the pitch just seems to take far too long I just don't I don't see that there's any significant benefit to the game a few more calls get you know corrected but I think the the time and the controversies that we, we you know we're still getting exactly the same discussion points as we were having before. They're just different points. No, but I th- I think there are just we're we're shifting our focus because it has reduced the number of refereeing errors, and you're never going to have no more mistakes because humans are ultimately still the last people who decide on it. Far doesn't make a decision because it's a machine operated by a human. Um, so it's reduced the number of refereeing mistakes and it's also reduced the number of fouls. So players used to do things that they could get away with. Now they're not doing them anymore. So it's kind of cleaning up football in a way, which has got to be a good thing. And even if it's never going to be perfect, fewer mistakes are surely better than mistakes that were being made before. Offside goals are never scored anymore. Handball goals are never scored anymore because it's impossible for them to be because there's VAR. So surely that's good. I think we don't need to get into this. Because we've had VAR in Italy for three years now. Um, it's kind of becoming a talking point again because of you lot over there, Kev, and your mismanagement of it in England. The referee not looking at the screen is absolute nonsense because it then means he's not really refereeing the game anymore. But for all its flaws, VAR has improved things over here. So I definitely stand by it. But it's more the, the interpretation of what is handball and what is offside now is more problematic for me, especially after the rule changes in the summer, which basically say that attackers have to follow one rule and defenders have to follow another, which for me is problematic. But I don't know. I don't care. I don't really want to talk about handballs or penalties or anything because I don't think there was a penalty in that you one. It I did, yeah. It was more to take a box than anything else. And then you started talking about English football, which was only you can be blamed for that. Anyway... One of the games I was at this weekend, one of the two was in Bologna, just down the road. Bologna went 1-0 up, but they lost 2-1 to Inter. Vito, it wasn't Inter's best performance of the season. They probably will perform this poorly again, but they won. They did win, and uh, I think they can really thank Romelu Lukaku with his brace. Takes his tally to nine goals for the season, only four behind Chiru Immobile from Lazio. So I think... uh, he can be happy with his performance. As for Inter in general, rather unconvincing. I thought Bologna played reasonably well. Rodrigo Palacio at 37, he's still running like a bull, still being a significant contributor for them. And Roberto Soriano scored a fabulous goal. Unfortunately for them, Ricardo Solini did something very silly by tripping Lautaro Martinez in the penalty box. And... I think that really cost the game, especially because when Martinez was pulling off that dribble, 
it was Gary Medell and I think it was uh, Mbaye as well that could have blocked off Martinez's path anyway. So very childish and inexperienced of Orsolini to do that. It was absolute stupidity and not necessarily this, but it's the kind of thing that Orsolini does too often. He, he shows why he's not at someone like Juve or why perhaps Gasparini never trusted him with Atalanta. He, he's got so much talent, but he always, in every single game I've seen him play in, makes one crucially wrong decision. Whether it's to shoot instead of pass to a teammate, whether it's to try a pass that's overly complicated, or whether it's to foul someone in stoppage time when you're holding Inter at home. He's just, he's maddening because he's got a lot of ability. Avito, I know you love him. I quite like him when he has the ball too, but he's got a lot of things that he needs to iron out of his game. But Lukaku, Kev, he's got nine and 11. In his, nine goals in his first 11 Serie A appearances. Do you know who the last Inter striker to do that was? Sorry, the in, last Inter striker to do that? Yes. Oh, uh, has he just left Inter? He hasn't just left Inter. It's Ronaldo. In 1997-1998, that's wow. how good Lukaku's start has been. I think I read that and just assumed that it was Cristiano Ronaldo as when he came to Italy. But I didn't oh, bother was, looking up the stats. He was terrible last season, don't you remember? Yeah, he, yeah, he didn't score for the first three, did he? I, I, I don't know. I now see Ronaldo and sadly um, it takes away from the <laughs> original. I still insist on calling the, the new one Cristiano Ronaldo or Cristiano for, for that very reason. But... Lukaku, he's going to fire Inter to something special this year. Yeah, I think so. I've I've made him my player of the week um, this week for his contribution. And I think if you look at what he did uh, midweek as well, he scored that wonderful uh, sort of drive, if you like, um, to also win the win the game for Inter. But the goals against Bologna showed uh, sort of a different aside to him almost that uh you know the alertness around the box to sort of poach the goal just as it was rolling past the post and then the the calmness when you know you're away from home um you know that you they are probably going to pick up points later in the day and to uh, sort of slot the ball home was um exactly what inter need been so impressed by him you know i think i've seen inter what is it three times in the flesh now this season obviously pretty much every other week on TV too. But in this game, he was he did everything. He, he was dropping in deep. He was running the channels when it wasn't going for him down the centre. He was pulling defenders all over the place. He was dropping into his own half and bouncing Bologna players. And then he got his goals, which he very much deserved. It was only for Lukas Skorupski that he didn't score earlier. Um, he did have the ball in the net for one decision that was offside. And then Skorupski made a very good save down to his bottom left-hand corner when Lukaku had picked the ball up out wide on the right, driven inwards and just powered a shot towards the bottom corner. And he's he's been really impressive. And I didn't quite expect him to be this good. I thought he would do well with Letaro Martinez at Inter. And they're even outperforming the level I thought they would hit. And they complement each other so, so nicely. But I think that's enough on Lukaku anyway. Because we do also have to talk about someone else who did quite well for Inter, which, believe it or not, Vito Valentino Lazaro. He was supposed to be a buffoon. He was supposed to be written off. He was supposed to be terrible and leaving in January. But this was his first start. And he did very, very well. He did. Uh, he looked rather energetic going forward and showed a lot more composure on the ball than 
when he came on against the Sassuolo a couple of weeks back and looked rather shambolic. Uh, maybe this is a turning point, but at the end of the day, it's just one game. So hopefully it is a catalyst for something better for him. And at this stage, with the way the team's being built under Antonio Conte, I think they need Lazaro to chip in whenever he can, because as fantastic as Antonio Candreva has been this season, he is still 32 years old and can't be expected to play every single game. So the much younger Lazaro, if he can uh, keep playing like he did, I think uh, Inter actually have some decent cover on the right. You would think so. Um, Kev, were we too quick to write him off, considering he did just come in this summer? Yeah, well, I must admit, I was reading some uh, articles on him at the weekend and was just kind of surprised to remember he was there you know I, I missed him coming in over the summer and then I, I kind of assumed that he was going to be a lot younger than 23 when I sort of did some some research into him and you know he's got he's got 25 uh Swiss no Austrian caps mm-hmm. um you know and he, he he played he had significant playing time at both uh, Salzburg and also um Hertha Berlin so maybe that maybe that's why the people were expecting a little bit more from him but if he can kick on from here if he gets a little bit of playing time uh, who knows? If they can play like that every week, he's better than Danilo D'Ambrosio is. So I don't see why he couldn't be getting into the team every week. Kev, you mentioned your player of the week. Mm. Where, where can people read your player of the week? Once uh, somebody does the uh, <laughs> the uh, aesthetic work. The on graphic. The, uh, the graphics, that's the word I was looking for. They will be able to read it on uh, Forza Italian Football. Just going to get the granddad emoji and put it over your face for the YouTube viewers. And how do you choose your player of the week? Uh, well, um, depending on what I've seen. Um, so sometimes, uh, you know, a general performance can sway me. I think when, I, when I'm catching up and seeing a few highlights, I think it, it it's largely the people that stand out if they've scored or assisted you know I think the most recent one I did was Ilicic for Atalanta and not only assisting he sort of played a key role in some of the other goals um to be honest it was a bit of a toss-up this week me and Vito had a discussion uh uh over our Slack channel about I wanted to give it to Mario who we'll get on to later for mm. standing up to what he stood up to but uh but yeah it's, it's, a, it's a strange mix of things that have gone on for the weekend it has been a strange mix. Obviously, you two discussed because Vito does the team of the week, which you will be able to read. It will probably be up by the time you listen to this, actually, on ForzaItalianFootball.com. If you're watching us on YouTube in the first 12 or so hours of its publishing, maybe not. But go back on Tuesday afternoon, late morning, and it will for sure be there. Vito, Alessandro Bastoni went back to Inter from Parma this summer, and I was quite surprised because he played a lot alongside Bruno Alves last year. And I didn't think he'd get many minutes, but he's keeping Diego Verdina out of the team at the moment, and he he played very very well again. Yeah, defensively he's been quite solid throughout the season so far, but uh, the thing that's really caught my eye is that he's very comfortable on the ball, and sometimes I see him, you know, get out of that left centre back position, you know, in that uh, back three. And he's uh, very comfortable when he's advancing forward from the fence. And just the way he has the ball at his feet and picks a pass. 
I think he does very well for someone his age. So it's good to see another young Italian defender on the rise. And I think, you know, in addition to his defensive capabilities, uh, I think it's really important that someone like him does have that comfort in the ball so he can adapt to the modern game. Yeah, I watched him quite a lot at Parma last year. I think I probably saw about 18 or 19 of Parma's games last season and he was his progress was clear throughout the season. Having Bruno Alves beside him really helped. And I think coming into this inter-team where he's got both Milan Skriniar and who's the other one? Stefan de Vrij alongside him helps because even if he knows he's, he's making a slip or if he's struggling to get through a game, to have those two guys next to you to help you through is... It's only going to help, isn't it? Over to Bologna, because they did go ahead through a Roberto Soriano strike, and it was quite a good one. against Inter and they can consider themselves quite unlucky yeah there was you know because Bologna's been a bit hit and miss this year after I probably cursed them by thinking that they'd do quite well and then you know it was a, it was a wonderful strike from Soriano they they held their own I don't think we can I think we're doing a little bit of a disservice to them thinking that Inter played particularly badly you know they weren't up mm-hmm. to maybe the levels they've been at this season but yeah signs that maybe after not necessarily just Mihailovic's absence, but just the whole, uh, I hate to call it circus, but in the absence of another word, you know, all the, you know, all the media spin and everything that they were doing. I think if they can get settled now, they can probably kick on for the rest of the season. Yeah, you would hope so, because they have got some talent in that squad. And when they play, they play quite well. I, I, it's quite problematic, though, when... Krejci and Mbai are playing together at the back. It's a bit of a crisis. Uh, speaking to Alessio, they're just happy down there again. And he he was absolutely bricking it because he saw those two lining up in the starting eleven. So some things still need to be fixed, but Bologna are okay. Uh, next in the table, then we've got Atalanta Cagliari. Cagliari went to Bergamo and won. First team to win at the new Jeva Stadium or whatever they're calling it. The Stadio Atletico is already Italia. We'll stick with that. The Sardinians mean, mean business, Vito. They're now level with Atalanta and they'll be starting to stop themselves from thinking about Europe at this stage. Mm. Yeah, it's been an incredible transformation this season. They had a fantastic uh, summer transfer window when they managed to sell Nicolo Barella and they brought in some really quality players, especially in midfield. And... Uh, the way they played against uh, Atalanta, I think they put Lade under some really serious pressure and they probably could have won by a few more, to be honest. Uh, they're a very energetic side, well organised under Rolando Maran, and they have a bit more firepower than the previous uh, Rolando Maran teams of the past. And it's not just last season's Cagliari or even his Kievo teams, but yeah, I don't recall um, another Maran side being you know, this good offensively. Now, that's the thing, right? And Kev, Rolando Moran's not the type that's going to allow them to become sloppy. 
So with the the firepower they have up front, they'll be okay. They'll do quite well this year. Yeah, as I say, if, we, if they've tightened it up at the back and uh, what they've got going forward, I think they can maybe be what I thought Bologna might be this year. Um, oh, why have you be... done that to them? Well, oh yeah, sorry, I'll probably I'll curse <laughs> them. But, um, well, let's face it, Bologna didn't get uh, European football last year, so maybe Cagliari will just drop out uh, towards <laughs> the, the back end of the season. But... Um, yeah, no, there's um, a lot of positive signs there. It's just, it's just, I always find these things strange where there's been such a sort of turnaround, particularly when they've lost, you know, the players that they've lost and whether that has galvanised. I know Nangaland's come in, but uh, yeah, it's interesting because Rolando Maran, for all his experience, has never really set the world alight from my uh, um, understanding. You know, I think what I've keeping him. Kievo up for so many seasons is the equivalent mm-hmm. of qualifying for the Champions League with a normal side. I mean, he had them punching above their weight just by being in Serie A so consistently. I quite like Moran. I think he does quite a good job with what he's got and I'm, I'm hoping he can prove that at Cagliari this year. What have we got? To, oh, but come on, Giovanni Simeone. He's amazing. I love him again. He's so good to watch and if he could score goals, he'd be the best striker in the world, Visa. Well, at least he did score with a exquisite chip against Bologna in that 3-2 victory. So uh, there is one piece of highlights, you know, for the real. But in this game, he probably should have scored the opening goal. But his shot just went straight into Pierluigi Golini. And, yeah, that was about it from him. If he can provide more goals, Cagliari um, would certainly be more dangerous. And also... You know, they might have that serious push for a Europa League spot. So far, they've had a rather even spread of goal scorers, to be honest. And, uh, you know, like last week, again, in that Bologna game, they had two goals scored by Joel Pedro. And then in the other games, you've got Nangalan and a few of the others chipping in with the goals. And this time, it was Christian Oliva, one of the Uruguayan midfielders. He got the second goal, so... There's that nice spread of contributors, but it's always useful when you have that one striker that you can depend on and you'll just keep firing them in. Kev, Atalanta have only won one of their last four games. Okay, they have played a high-flying Cagliari, Lazio and Napoli both away in those four games and they scored seven in the other. But is this a dip? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. 
From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Uh, oh, I don't know. I'm not even sure if Atalanta have dips or they just can usually wavy until the latter stage of the season. Um, I, I think some uh, concessions can be given for the for the opposition that they had, and actually the the closeness of the games. You know, if we remember that Napoli was midweek, so mm. you're probably trying to manage the squad. Um, I know we've discussed the lack of Zapata. I don't think. I don't think that's having the, you know, a significant impact. It's having some impact on their performances, but I don't think it's the, I don't think it's the sole reason when you've got Muriel still scoring for them. But I think um, when we're talking about the last run of games, you've got three there within what ten days. Um, so I think you can expect to drop points, but maybe they've dropped points where uh, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have wanted to, or you'd necessarily think they would have. Yeah, well, speaking of dropped points to play Manchester City on on Wednesday evening. Um, that'll be fun for Pep, probably. But people will have watched that by the time they listen to this, so we won't dwell on the Champions League. We'll move on to a, a side who deserve discussing, and it reminds me as well, actually. We did run a competition over on our Twitter account and also on our Insta- Instagram account. Sorry, I forgot how to speak there. Won't be the first or the last time. Um, where you could win a t-shirt courtesy of, I guess we could call them our friends at this stage. They've given us enough things for competitions in the past. Our friends over at Art of Football. Um, the winner of that will be discussed and chosen a little bit later in the podcast. So stay tuned for that. Roma beat Napoli 2-1. Roma are... Kev, they're competent. Yeah, they're they're quietly going about their business. They've sort of drifted into third place now after the the slip up, I suppose, from from Atalanta. And and yeah, they just I, I never really followed too much of what Paolo Fonseca did in uh, in Ukraine, but he seems to have got a nice cohesive unit there. You've got you know I must give Chris Smalling credit because he's done yeah. far better than I expected him to do there. Um, you know, maybe the I was talking to somebody online uh, about this last week, and maybe the language barrier that you often need to, you know, organise def- a defence is not there. Where you've got a Kolarov who must have picked up some English um, during his time at Manchester City. So yeah, you know, defence. You know that um, Paul Lopez is a is a is a huge upgrade on Robin Olsen. So I think if you're starting from that basis, it seems to stumbling <laughs> coming together up top. Stop laughing, Vito. <laughs> how, how have you squeezed him in? How have you done that? Well, I nearly squeezed him in because Gomez had a shot and it bounced off the bar off of Olsen's <laughs> yeah. head and nearly went in, but I didn't mention it, so I thought I had to, I had to <laughs> squeeze him in somewhere. Yeah, um, it's a fair point. I thought we had gotten through that quite nicely without you mentioning it, but I should know you better by now. Wasn't to be. Vito, how much credit does Fonseca deserve for turning Roma and indeed Chris Smalling into competent 
footballer isn't a competent team. At the moment, I think he deserves a lot of credit because they do have quite a few players out injured and they're still managing to get the results, which I think is really important for the Giallo Rossi at this stage. Chris Smalling's performances have really surprised me and uh, I think it's uh, obviously great to see because he was another one at Manchester United that had his fair share of critics like Romelu Lukaku. So for him to come to Roma and do what he's been doing so far, I think has been fantastic. And another player that has uh, done well under Mancini in recent weeks is uh, Gianluca Mancini. He came to Atalanta as a centre-back and now he's a makeshift defensive midfielder. Not only that, he provided uh, the long pass which resulted in the opening goal scored by Nicolo Zaniolo, who's another player that's been superb. Yeah, absolutely. Kev, um, Gianluca Mancini is Andrea Pirlo, discuss. Uh, yeah, um, apparently so. You know, I, mean? I know you've got your uh, Atalanta, Atalanta hat on as well when you think that. I've, I've got my FIF shirt on, but I haven't oh, got okay. my hat on. Yeah, I, I think with him and Jordan Vertu there in the in the middle of the park, it and, and Vito touched on the um, the injury, if you like, crisis that they've got there at the moment, and and maybe that's helping them. That everybody needs knows they've got to put that sort of extra 10% in to try and um, stay up there challenging because, you know, you've got the likes of Juve and and um, Inter that are probably going to take those two top spots. And um, Roma don't want another year out outside of the Champions League. Well, they've got the key materials to get them back into it. Nicolo Zaniolo is one of them. Vito, you briefly mentioned them, but he came in for some criticism from um, who was it, Fabio Capello recently, and he's responded in the best possible way by scoring goals. Yes, well, now he's got three goals in as many games. Roma have obviously won those games too. So I think it's great that he's responding this way because he is a fantastic young player and he's got the attributes to really succeed as a footballer. I mean, I don't want to... talk him up too much but I do think you know I will say that he's got what it takes to be one of the greats he's barely 20 years old but he plays with just such grace and composure and when you can score goals like he's been doing for a team like Roma who should be pushing for a Champions League spot I think that gives a player great confidence and uh, when they're doing that at 20 it just makes you wonder when what they can do when they are supposed to reach their peak in their mid-twenties. Yeah, someone will mention him in the same sentence as Francesco Totti at some point in the next three months, though, and then he'll never do anything good ever again, and that's just how it's mm. going to go forever at Roma. Kev, mm. if Gianluca Mancini is Andrea Pirlo, then Chris Smalling is Paolo Maldini? <laughs> yeah, why not? Let's say that. <laughs> You know, no, I'd, I'd say I'll, I will give him some credit. I, I, I didn't rate him when I, when I've seen him. Um, yeah, he seems to have settled in really well. Um, I don't think Roma had a particular soft centre there before. You think they, you know, they lost Manolas, um, so it wasn't the obvious place that they needed to maybe strengthen. But he's, he's just come in. He, you know, I saw him closing down Callahan, uh, which I. Think was the incident that led to the first penalty when he handled the ball being chased out of the box from a corner. Um, just all round, I'm just impressed his distribution, even which he never really did uh, much in 
uh, in a United shirt. Mm. I don't want to go too far into praising former or current <laughs> Manchester United players. Take your Liverpool hat off, Kev. Come on, mm. be professional. But no, he, he did well. He had that goal line clearance as well. I was kind of thinking when I saw this game, Napoli have big problems. And then I thought, and I thought, no, they had a chance cleared off the line. They hit the crossbar. They hit the post. They mm. they had chances, but something just doesn't quite feel right, Kevin. Is it Ancelotti's doing? Is it just something's gone a bit stale for them? They've had most of that squad there together for a while now. Where do they go from here? Because they're now seventh, right? Yeah, I, I I sort of watched the game and sort of saw the chances that they created. And there was a couple of weeks ago, we had the nil-nil draw where they just sort of were wasteful as much as anything else. Then um, the they weekend game... Too. Yeah, and then the weekend's game, it looked like it wasn't necessarily wastefulness. You were just unlucky. You know, you've hit the, the bar and the post a couple of times. So I, I really, I, I don't think we can say, you know, it's stale. You know, sometimes you, you can either hit a purple patch or you hit a, a, a run where you need to sort of stabilise as quickly as possible and then try and dig a win out from somewhere. Mm. Because I think actually Ancelotti's had a real good impact on the on the team because they could have they could have almost uh, spiraled from losing Sari and that sort of identity they had of the passing game. And um, yeah, I think it'll be an interesting couple of weeks. I, I honestly don't know who they've got coming up. I'm trying well, to think. Obviously, they've got Champions League this week, like but they've got Genoa in Naples next Saturday. Vito smiling. And then they've got Milan the week after, which we'll get to, by the way. So, Genoa, Milan, Bologna are the next three games. Yeah, well, two, they're ideal, really, on current form. Mm. Yeah, you you would think, right? But, I don't know, football's funny. Alex Mera, two great saves. The one, who was it that he, it was a header, and he tipped it over the cross. It was a phenomenal save. I think it was Milik, and Mera made an unbelievable save. Sometimes you just need reminding that he's a very, very good goalkeeper. Because when we talk about Napoli, we tend not to talk about him. If we're looking at them defensively, the credit usually goes to Kulabeli and Manolas, I guess, this season. But no, Merit's top. Anyway, next up, Milan. They lost again. Normal service has resumed. Don't worry, Italian football fans. They're, they're still Milan. They lost to Lazio this time and... There's no other place to start other than Ciro Immobile. He scored his 100th goal for the Bianco Celeste. And Vito, he's still somehow underrated, even by us. Yeah, I think he is a maligned striker. And most of that, Arik, is more than anything due to his performances with the Italian national team. He, unfortunately, he's been very disappointing when he's played for the Azzurri. And the Sweden disaster two years ago, there were a lot of players that played poorly, but he was more or less uh, the main scapegoat because he didn't score any goals. And even though the team has been transformed under Roberto Mancini, uh, he hasn't really improved along with the rest of the team. Most of the other players have really gone up a level, really shown their true colours. Going back to Lazio, though, and yeah, just his club career in general, I think he's an excellent Serie A standard striker. And I think it looks like he'll be one of those guys that might not be good at international level, but at least at Serie A, he has been a very respectable goal scorer. Um, 
at Torino he was relied upon and now at Lazio for the last three years or so he has been very prolific so I think he deserves plaudits at least for what he's done with the Bianco Celesti another thing that I needed reminding of actually was that in 2017-2018 he did finish equal leading goal scorer in the Europa League with eight goals so he's done something in Europe too but yeah Hopefully, if Lazio can keep going this season, he might finally get to 30 goals in a campaign and have a go at the Champions League, and maybe he'll get further exposure there because I think he's only played in that competition when he was at Borussia Dortmund and he had scored one great solo goal, but nothing more than that. Yeah, that goal was excellent and otherwise pretty dry time from in Germany, sadly. But uh, Stefano Pioli, okay, he's annoyed me because Milan played, what? one game a week, 35 weeks of the season. And then there's the three weeks where they'll play three times or twice. One of those weeks has already happened before Pioli came in. So he's only got to manage it once, probably, because he'll probably be gone by January, won't he? And he was complaining because of the the midweek round of fixtures. And he said, I think we played with the right spirit, battling for 95 million minutes. It's a pity how we conceded the goal. Lazio created problems, blah, 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 blah. And then he said, it could have been that our physical condition was a little lower and having an extra day to rest made the difference. Whoever makes the fixture list needs to respect Milan a little more. I, I laughed when I heard that. I mean, it's, that's pathetic from a Milan coach who is coaching a side who should be in Europe and they haven't been for a long time and they're not going to be next season. And Lazio are in Europe. So they have to balance their squad a lot more than he does. Kev, what did you make of this? I make that a coach that is looking around, clutching at straws as to what he can use as an excuse to somehow give his his side, um, I don't know, get out of jail card, I think. And the only thing he can see is the fixture list because, you know, there's, there's not... Because uh, I think it, there's collective blame on the team you know, how they're performing. You know, you couldn't say it was unlucky. You know, Donnarumma didn't let one through his arms or, you know, there was a, a penalty decision. It, he's just he, he's just clutching at straws, which is quite a concern when you've only been there for, you know, a matter of weeks and probably realising that the job's too big for him or too big for the squad that he's got at his disposal. Yeah, he's there, what, two weeks, right? It's, it's unbelievable. I couldn't believe it that it's happening already. And, just kind of points in one direction for me, but do we do we want to do do we want to do Milan again? Because I, I don't really. I'm happy to move on. I'm tired of Milan. Yeah, me too. Vito looks like he wants to say something. Well, not particularly that much. <laughs> I mean, let's let's face it. Pioli was never someone that really draw the approval of many people anyway, you know, regardless if it was the uh, Milanisti or neutrals. Uh, it was a bad appointment from the start. So, yeah, regardless if he does finish the season or not, it just looks like a very poor mistake to employ him in the first place. And yeah, it makes you wonder if Milan are going to be one of those clubs that bring back the old coach. So, you know, if they brought back Marco Giampolo, I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, That's that how ridiculous amazing. things have been at Milan. Oh, that would be amazing. Right, let's let's take a guess. Give me a date between now and May. 
for when Stefano Pioli gets sacked. Or you can say the end of the season if you think he'll stick it out. I say January 24th. 15th of Feb. Okay. Vito, go. Um, I'll say 5th of January. <laughs> so the longest is Kev, giving him the middle of February. All right. Sorry, Milan fans. You already hate us, so it doesn't really matter too much. Right, that's that. Um, On to the competition then. We did run a competition with our friends over at Art of Football. They have got some really nice new t-shirts that are based on some 90s Serie A legends, for example. Batistuta, Diego Maradona. I know technically the 80s as well there. And that guy we spoke about earlier, you might have heard of him. His name is Ronaldo. The first one. The really, really, really good one. Him. Yeah. So we all you had to do was to retweet our tweet and to use the hashtag FIF giveaway. Or you could reshare a recent Instagram post of ours and yeah, you guessed it, use the hashtag FIF giveaway. A few of you did, but we've chosen our winner at random and it is Aaron Holland. So Aaron, if you're listening, as you should be considering you entered the competition, drop us a message on Twitter and we'll sort things out from there. So congratulations all of the rest of you buy one of those t-shirts or these or wait for our next competition if you're too cheap to do that but anyway on to the other game i was at this weekend fiorentina won parma won giving out about this game is it just because I was there that I enjoyed it but I thought it, I thought it was okay Fiorentina quite obviously missed Frank Ribery but other than that both teams had their chances Mr. Doria yeah they they did uh, uh, Fiorentina they play a more possession based game whereas Parma they've got the pace on the counter attack and Jovino uh, was more than happy to make the most of the space that's, you know, that was exposed by the Fiorentina defence. So he scored the first goal. And then Gaetano Castrovilli, he's maintaining his fine start of the season with another diving header. So, that yeah, was one. an incredible header. But we, do, we have to talk about Castrovilli, OK? Because he's talented, but people were losing their minds on Twitter about him. And I can understand getting excited because of his performances this season. But this wasn't the game to do it on. I thought he was a little bit wasteful as Fiorentina tended to be but yeah I, I don't understand it I, is it I guess it's just the whole thing people see a six second clip on Twitter now and think that this guy's the saviour but he's talented and I think he will yeah. do very very well this season and throughout his career but I don't know I thought people were choosing the wrong game to get excited over him well he was more decisive against Sassuolo because he did score with an even better diving header midweek and he set up the winning goal for Nikola Malenkovic. Oh. So I think that performance would have deserved more plaudits, especially because La Viola actually won that game. Uh, that being said, uh, another thing we can talk about is not only is he much younger than Marco Benassi, but Marco Benassi has been criticised here and on Twitter for being a guy that just chips in with goals and does little else. Castrovilli... He looks like the all-round package. He'll bring lots of energy, 
But for an energetic midfielder, he's got excellent ball control. And uh, he, he's really sh- looking like he's going to be one of this season's uh, revelations. So if he can continue on that trend, I think uh, he's another player that has the potential to become something special. But of course, we can't get too carried away because a few Italians haven't really lived up to the hype in the last decade or so. So Benassi just take it one game at a time. Mm, yeah. I would, I would agree with that overall general point. Fiorentina are quite a fun team to watch. Saw them, what, twice in the space of six, seven days now. So one thing that is quite apparent is that they're, they're quite wasteful. They, they're needlessly flashy. Chiesa is a big, oh, he drives me mad sometimes because he's another one with a lot of talent. But he tries to overcomplicate things with back heels and flicks. And it's just, there's no need. Just play it simple. He really angered me against Lazio because there was one instance where he he tried to step over the ball it was co- as it was coming into the box when he could have shot, thinking there was a player running in behind him. There wasn't, and Strakosha just picked it up. About two minutes later, after having Montella go mad at him, he tried a back heel, a no-look back heel pass, completely just gave away possession. And they were kind of at it again. Not specifically that, but just wastefulness. Not thinking about what they're doing a lot of the time and okay if you've got Frank Ribery there maybe you can afford to do that a little bit more because you know he's going to create a few more chances but when he's not there I think they have a bit of work to do but Parma they're doing all right Kev they're they're sitting quite comfortably in the table at the moment and considering their squad has been absolutely plagued by injuries Roberto Daversa is doing quite secretly a good job yeah I think he's still or the team is still re- riding that sort of crest of the the promotions and being back in Syria you know and there's, there's clearly a, a cohesive unit there and then you've got the likes of Jovino who I know is somebody else that frustrates you from time to time um, but he is that you know, he is that match winner he's got that bit of quality to do like he did and you know drive forward and produce a, a delicate chip and, um, you know, if it wasn't for his inconsistency, he probably would have maybe played at a um, not much higher level, but, you know, may, maybe longer for a, yeah. a more successful side rather than a higher level. This season, I think Palmer would be better off without him because he's he's that much of a nuisance. They've got players who can do what he does now in Jan Karamo and Dejan Kulusevski. I know they're both young, but they're more willing to run and defend Kuluzewski, I think, covered more ground than anyone in a game recently, and that was more than anyone in Europe. He's a phenomenal player. Everyone who listens to this podcast and reads my articles and know what I think about Kuluzewski. And Karamo's showing himself to be not too far behind since coming into the team. Gervinho is absolutely infuriating. I'm not sure if you read my post-match opinion piece, but the, the last section of it was dedicated to him. And it's even more annoying now because he's wearing the captain's armband in Bruno Alves' injury absence. And he clearly just cares about himself so much more than he cares about the team. Uh, you lose count of the number of chances he has where he shoots from 20 yards or from a stupid angle. And Kulusevski, Kuchka and Karamo are just kind of stood there in the box. Not even giving him a bollocking because what's the point? He's just going to do it anyway. 
there was a, I think it was in the Genoa game where they beat Genoa 5-1 and they were celebrating a goal. And I just saw Giovanni going over and kind of pulling someone and, and being like, oh, you should have passed the ball to me there a few minutes ago. Thinking, right, you should just take the captain's armband off you now. It's, it's ridiculous. He's clearly only wearing it because he was brought in probably with some sort of clause. They say, oh, you can be captain when Bruno's not fit, but he he drives me mad. I'm sick of talking about him. Go over and read what I wrote after this game because I, I like Palmer and I, I don't really like Gervinho that much. And if I was a Palmer fan, yeah, I he he drives me insane. Anyway, Verona Brescia, we've we've reached that point. Verona beat Brescia two one. But that's not what anyone was talking about because surprise, surprise, guys. Um, the Verona fans made monkey noises and racially abused, abused Mario Balotelli. Uh, Verona were here in midweek. They're on Tuesday night here in Parma. And they also made monkey noises towards Jan Caramo and Gervinho. In the first half, the two ran into each other and fell. Unfortunately, it was right in front of the Verona Ultras. So obviously they... They do what you, you do in that situation, right? You you make monkey noises to annoy the, the opposing player. Yeah? No, um, of course not. Then in the second half, there was an incident where it all got a bit heated. Needlessly, Verona got angry, which you can understand they were hanging on to to the win. Um, Caramo basically was the one who was guilty of being in possession when they got angry. So they all did monkey noises again. Um Nothing was reported about it, which was frustrating because it leaves you feeling a little bit sick, to be honest, when you hear it. And, yeah, they were at it again. Balotelli, to his credit, picked up the ball and booted it at the stand where the monkey noises were coming from. Tried to walk off the pitch. Um, He was convinced to stay on by his teammates and the Verona players as well. And... It's just more of the same, Kev. Yeah, it's. Um, I, I think it's just sad that we're in a scenario where everybody's trying to convince him to stay on the pitch and not deciding to all walk off together. Yeah. I think for such a young man, um, Tonelli pleading with the referee to sort of acknowledge the uh, the racism, because I assume that would then have put in some call for a Tannoy announcement for, pe- for people to stop. You know, for someone at 19 years old, um, you know, to support his teammate. Um, but maybe if a few more of them did it and we actually saw games being stopped, maybe that would be uh, a, a bigger signal to the Italian authorities to do something about it. Because I noticed that they, they took all the, they, they quickly rounded up the videos online to, yeah. to get those taken off. It's yeah, and there was very little on the highlights that they, they put out from their official uh, channels. Yeah, actually, do you know what? I'm going to give them a little bit of credit because I didn't think they were going to include that at all. Yeah, the they left some on there, yeah. did surprise me. They sh- they showed what happened. They showed them booting the ball at the sand. They showed the, the, the aftermath. So uh, I'm not giving them credit, but maybe I'm just... The, the bar is quite low for what I expect from them, I suppose. One of the one of the, if not the leader of Hellas's Ultras was doing a, a local radio interview this Monday morning. And obviously he was asked about Balotelli. So I'm gonna read some of the quotes from what he said this morning. He said Balotelli, who's a finished player, decided yesterday, 
um, to be spurred on by someone or something, to do that act of clownery and kick the ball at the curva. Next year, he won't be playing football. He'll be a prima donna on TV. He found himself under Verona's curva and decided to kick the ball. He's bothered because we sing Mario, Mario, and he prefers to be insulted. Um, right, no. And then he, he went on to say he has defamed Verona. There were people who monkey chanted him, 10, 7 people. We have a certain kind of cultural identity. We are a fan base that's irreverent. We like to take the piss out of players with long hair, players from the south of Italy and players of colour. But we don't do it with political or racist intentions. This is folklore. It stops there. Just, uh, it, we're not finished, by the way. Just as against Milan two years ago, we celebrated and clapped our hands for Mario. Instead, the referee, when Balotelli kicked the ball away, uh, I don't even really want to go on, but this is the worst part for me, right? Because we know Verona aren't going to get punished. There was a, an investigation into it that said, ah, oh, no, it was only 15 people, so don't worry about it. And the, the Verona Ultra kind of is aware of that. He said, and you all have to wait for the sporting authorities. You'll see Verona's curva won't be punished. These monkey chants were made by four people who only the person who made the video could hear. Balotelli heard voices in his own head. Balotelli is Italian because he has Italian citizenship, but he'll never be fully Italian. Verona's fans are racist. And then he went on to say, we have a, in our team who scored yesterday and all of Verona applauded him. Oh, is there a problem with the word? What are you supposed to do about that? This guy is now faced up to this, right? Can we not just close the curve? Yeah, you had Verona's coach, Ivan Juric, speaking about how the noises didn't happen. Um, they were just whistles, just whistles, he said. Surely, can we do something about that as well? He's just denying that it's happening. I think the problem, the problem I have with the closing is... Kev, uh, Kev, 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 your mic is covered. Is it? How's that? Sorry, that, my internet dropped yeah. as well earlier. You're good. But the problem I have with the closing of stands, um, not necessarily just in Italy, but across Europe, is that the the fans often relocate to another part of the ground anyway. And we've seen that it doesn't work. Whereas you need something that's going to hit maybe the club and maybe the fans a little harder if they were to be relegated. So give them a six-point ban. You know, because I've, I've argued that if you've got a minority of people doing these uh, racial actions, that it's the person next to you that should, you know, be or at least try and be strong enough to say stop doing that whatever and until you start hitting them and you may well hit them with a, a full stadium closure but if this, if sides start getting relegated because they've had points deductions for the season for this type of thing it will hit the, the owner's pockets it will hit you know the fans and maybe that's the way to go yeah i i do tend to agree i, I just think they should do everything Cl- close the stands as well close the stands mm-hmm. and take six points off them if they do it again, take 12 points off them. If they do it again, take 24 points off them. Because it is probably the only way that it's going to stop, right? One of the problems for me, and I have an issue because you see people on what Twitter, social media and everything saying, oh, look, the, the Italians are being racist again. It, Italian people aren't racist, right? But a lot of people here tend to overlook this as not being racism. You speak to people about it, and normal people who who have pretty rational opinions on everything else, and you speak to them about this, and they're saying, "Oh no, that's that's not racism, though. It's 
They're just doing it to put him off. They're, they're not racist. They're just trying to distract them. It's sportsmanship. And obviously you have to then say, but no, but call him something else. You know, you, you don't have to make a monkey noise at someone to, to put them off. It's like that term in the statement they set out, which I was like, this is folklore. Uh, that, that's the equivalent of saying, oh, you because your grandfather makes that comment, oh, we're a different generation. Uh, it, it's not it's not folklore or a different generation because you know the, the world moves on yeah but you know i was a bit disheartened because i was in the the press room at the artemio frankie when this was coming on and you could see yurt's interview coming through and a lot of the journalists in there were even just kind of like oh this, this again you know, people are sick of talking about it people are sick of hearing about it so maybe that's why less people are even speaking about it it's not being reported as much as it should be i was at a game last Sunday when Lazio had a penalty against Fiorentina. There were monkey noises at Casado before he hit it. No one spoke about it. I tweeted it and I got abused for apparently inventing it. I mean, there were people 10 yards in front of me doing monkey noises when he took it and then after he missed it. I went to Verona or to Parma Verona on Tuesday night. There was more racism. I went to Bologna for Bologna Inter on Saturday. Lukaku scored in front of the curva and kind of held his arms out because he was being whistled. And he was me- gre- greeted with monkey noises three times in a week. The problem is actually getting worse. Last season, I think I probably heard it three times overall. Three times in a week. And it's, I don't even know what to say anymore. Vito, what, what do you think? Should teams be hit with points fans? Is that fair on the players if their fans are then costing them points for being idiots? It's unfair on the players, but it's a, it's come to the point where drastic action has to be taken. And I don't think it's just affecting Hellas Verona as a club and as a fan base. I think it's it just makes the image of Italian football even worse. Since the since the emergence of the Calciopoli scandal in 2006, the image of Italian football has taken a severe battering. And also with the emergence and the rise of the English Premier League, uh, British pundits and EPL fanboys are the biggest critics of Italian football, especially, at least in the English-speaking world. And uh, if you're living outside of Italy and you live in countries where language, the first language is English, you're a lot more exposed to this criticism and hatred towards Italian football. Some of it's justified. Some of the criticisms are just based on old narratives and stereotypes. Unfortunately, in this situation... The racism is evident, and Hellas Verona as a club and the Legacia or the Feder culture, they're just making it worse on themselves by trying to pretend that it's normal and it doesn't exist. Um, unfortunately, it, uh, the lack of punishment or lack of action means that any racist incident that happens in Italy is going to be criticised and exposed a lot more outside of the Italian peninsula than anything that would happen in, say, England, Germany. Eastern Europe or any other part of Europe. So, uh, you know, we try to do what we can to talk about the positives of Italian football, but with more incidents like this and the lack of, um, you know, punishment for the teams and the fan bases, uh, it's bad for people like us who try to speak positively about culture because at this stage, we'd just be preaching to the choir again and again. How are we going to win new fans if people in important positions aren't focusing on the problems with the Italian game and trying to rectify the situation. It's a very 
sad set of circumstances and the lack of change is probably what makes things a lot worse that there is no action really taking place to really change the situation this is it right they, they schedule games at half 12 which everyone hates i mean you won't find one person here that likes that except for me when the half 12 games in parma but that's to to appeal to people overseas right but then people overseas are just so turned off by the fact that they tune in and see people just being racially abused and nothing's done about it it's mad um but not surprising can we can we end that part here any final thoughts guys not on that all right good uh vito you're gonna smile genoa <laughs> the honeymoon is over for tiago Mata. they they hosted udinese and they lost 3-1 udinese yeah the the team that atalanta pumped seven past roma pumped four past three of those coming with 10 men and Genoa lost 3-1 to them at home. The gift that keeps on giving. It's like <laughs> it's like on the motto they might have turned the corner in two games, but no. It's just, uh, yeah, another ridiculous result for Genoa. And to lose to Udinese, who only have a caretaker coach now in Gotti, and he doesn't want the job permanently, so that probably makes it more embarrassing. Mind you, I think I curse Genoa because... I have this thing, when I bet on Udinese games, when I tip them to win, they lose. When I tip them to lose, they win. So i got to tell myself, never bet on a game where Udinese is involved. It will just make everything easier. <laughs> so are you saying you bet on Genoa to win this weekend? Yeah, it's part of a multi. Bad mistake. Bad That's mistake. controversial, Kev, isn't it? Uh, how, I was trying to work out how he could be so smug with Sampdoria doing <laughs> as poorly as they are this season. And now I've just found out that he's betting on Genoa to win. Oh. <laughs> That's a conflict of interest, Fido. That's problematic. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but it's just one game. I don't care about the others. Plus, the odds looked favourable. Okay. But um, they, they scored a nice goal, but everyone's freaking out about it. Not, not one who the Nose player tried to get within two yards of a Genoa player for the goal, but it was, it was nicely done especially the last couple of passes. Lecce and Sassuolo drew 2-2 down in Puglia. Um, but Spal didn't beat Sampdoria 1-0 through an Andrea Batania strike. Vito, as we spoke about, wow, an hour ago now, Samp went to Ferrara and they nicked it in the last minute. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a rather terrible game to watch, to be honest. Although both teams created chances, just the quality of the football and the intensity the game was played at was, uh, yeah, not overly impressive at all. So it's like that Italian saying, you're as beautiful as a goal scored in the 90th minute. And, yeah, when when you experience that, it's just those 90th minute winners, you just wait so long just for one goal and then it comes and your team wins. You just feel on top of the world, so... It was great to see Caprari score with that header because he had barely been on for a couple of minutes. And, yeah, uh, that substitution worked out very well for Ranieri and the Doriani. How's the dog? Uh, well, yeah, I think Charlie's fine. Once we finish recording the pod, I'll, uh, pod, I'll probably let Charlie out and Murphy as well. So I'm Go sure give him a, a biscuit, run. mate. Give him a biscuit. Well, my dad gives him plenty of treats. He even feeds them more to Della. Ah, that's a good choice, that. Do you know what? I've been in Bologna so much in the last, what, month or two. I've become 
almost addicted to mortadella. If I go three <laughs> days without it, I start properly craving it, um, which is problematic, and it shows how much time I spent in Bologna Centrale. I, I, I usually just wander across and get a nice panino, which <laughs> there are worse places to eat mortadella than in Bologna, I suppose. Um, but th- that's it, you know. We've rambled on for long enough. Kev, have you anything to say? You look tired now. Um, we kind of skirted over it, but I think anybody who's listening, if they can go and watch just the short highlights of Let Chase a Swallow, all the goals were, were great. Go on, I'd argue that the Swallow equaliser was a better passing move than the Genoa one because it was done at pace against a team that actually wanted to defend. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it was quite entertaining. Okay. Anything else to say about that game, no? Uh, not that I've written down. Okay. Yeah. They're both quite... Lexi could have won it. Mm. Oh, the Sassuolo away kit. The green and white hoops. It's beautiful. Yeah, they've, yeah, they've won it not twice too on the bounce. Have they won it twice on the bounce? Where I think they've they? won it twice on the bounce, yeah. There have been too many games. I don't know what's happening anymore. Help. I don't know. Vito, have you any last thoughts? No, we've covered the bases so i'm all good excellent oh this here's nice news um talk of Serie A playing a game abroad yeah sort out the racism first guys before you start looking into that and we'll talk about it <sighs> already saudi arabia or somewhere where's the oh, super who cares honestly <laughs> if they do that and they don't oh no come on let's end it we're done goodbye Ciao, ciao. Bye-bye.
A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible Resistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.